The section's about Israel's priests. You have Aaron and his sons first ordained to enter into God's presence on behalf of Israel. And then in this matching section, we find the qualifications for being a priest. The priests were called to the highest level of moral integrity and ritual holiness because they represented the people before God, but then also represented God to the people. Now, we find out why the priest's holiness matters so much back here in this first section. Right after the family of Aaron was ordained, two of his sons waltz right into God's presence and flagrantly violate the rules. And so they are consumed by God's holiness on the spot. It's a haunting reminder of the paradox of living in God's holy presence because it's pure goodness, but it becomes dangerous to those who rebel and insult God's holiness. And so it's important that Israel's priests become holy and also that all of the people of Israel become holy. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to First Christian Church. I'm very glad you're with us today. If you're a guest with us, let me introduce myself. My name is Wayne. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm very glad to see each of you here, including those who are joining with us in the East Auditorium. I'm just over there, and uh, good to see a good crowd over there, and anyone who's online, I'm very glad that you're with us. As we um, step into our time together, I invite you to take your Bible and turn to Leviticus chapter 8, please. We'll come back. I'll mention that in just a moment. Before I get to that, though, be mindful that there's a change coming in the life of our congregation that you need to be aware of. Namely, that we are going to take the 11 o'clock service and move it back to pre-COVID times. So 5 o'clock Saturday is staying the same, 9 o'clock Sunday morning is staying the same, but the 11 o'clock service that we had to move to 11 because of trying to make certain we had lots and lots of room between the services to do all that sort of stuff. Beginning the first weekend in June, we'll be moving back to um, a 10.30 time for that. So that might make it easy if you're in the 9 o'clock service on Sunday mornings to attend a later service and make room for guests. We'll keep social distancing as we should. And uh, if you'd be interested in taking on that service, we move it to 10.30 because young parents would like to get out and have their kids home and have lunch so they can get naps and all that sort of stuff. So beginning the first weekend in June, make note that the 11 o'clock service will be moving to 10.30, back to when we were, where we were prior to when COVID came along. And some of you are going, you've not heard a word I've said so far this morning because you're wondering, what on earth is Wayne wearing? It's, just, it's fascinating seeing your eyes going, is this first Christian? Like, have we suddenly moved to a Presbyterian church or something or other? Well, uh, why would I be wearing all of this, right? Well, in light of what we're examining today in the book of Leviticus, and I do want you to turn there, okay? So we're also going back to pre-COVID days, and in the main text of our, of our, of our sermon each week, we're not going to be putting it on the screens. Back then, in COVID days, if you will, we didn't want you grabbing Bibles. We took the Bibles out of the pew racks, but we want you to go back to learning how to open up a Bible or opening it up on your smartphone. So go back and find Leviticus chapter 8, if you will, please. It's very close to the front of the book. Leviticus chapter 8, we'll be reading there in a minute. What we're going to be looking at today is, is um, centered around what do you think is the appropriate garb, the appropriate uniform, the appropriate look of somebody who is a pastor, a preacher, a priest, if you will. What should I wear given my responsibilities before God and before you? This thing right here 
is my hood. It is mine. It's red, which means that I studied theology. The red on it is, is a theological degree. The size of it, now I'm not trying to make sound erudite in this, but the size of it and the length of it indicates that I have a doctoral degree in theology. As it so happens, mine is in pastoral skills of the 21st century. Sounds very, most of it means how to, I learned how to put up with all of you. But no, I didn't really say that. Did I say that out loud? I didn't say it out loud, did I? No, so that's what that means. Then, then I have a robe, okay, that has a stole on it. Now, this is a liturgical stole, which is, again, mine, that um, sometimes are given. It, it's really an indication of somebody who's been ordained. When we say ordained within the church, that means that they've been set apart to liturgical, religious, vocational work. And a stole is given sometimes at ordination. In my case, it was given my ordination. And it's actually meant to represent the ropes and the fetters that were around Jesus when he was um, on trial. In that if you're ordained, you are roping yourself, if you will. You are tying yourself to the ministry of Jesus Christ. Then I have a, a robe, which sometimes in a lot of churches, those on the platform, those on the stage, those in the chancel are expected to wear. In my case, it has three chevrons. Again, I'm not trying to be weird on this, but because that means I have a doctoral degree. This is the theology degree. This is the doctoral degree. And so I have that. And then you go, okay, well, that's too much for us. Uh, here at First Christian Church, a robe and a stole and all that sort of stuff is too much for us. So instead... We'd like our preacher to wear a suit. So when I first started at First Christian Church many years ago, and it's only been in the last 15 years or so that preachers stopped wearing suits on stage, right? And um, so uh, typically we would say years ago that a preacher would wear a suit. But then, of course, uh, I have this other thing right here, right? And you go, you own a clerical colorway? And yeah, I do. So you went, now how does that work? Like that. Just like that. The reason I have a clerical collar is because for many years, I would um, volunteer as a chaplain at St. Mary's on an, on an 8 p.m. to 8 uh, a.m. shift and, and be in the hospital acting as a chaplain. And so it was easier in that Roman Catholic institution for me to um, wear, wear a collar and just kind of opened a lot of doors to me. But then some of you go, well, now you look kind of weird because you've got a shirt without buttons and all that sort of stuff. And if you really want to look like Wayne Kent, so you go, Wayne, why do you always wear a vest in the winter? Because it's cold in the winter. And I know it's not winter right now, but so you might go, well, now we're starting to look more like what we expect Wayne would wear typically on stage. Um, I, 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 once, I don't know how we got into this on the radio one time about what preachers should wear on direct line. You know about direct line, right? Direct line heard on News Talk 1340 WSOY each Wednesday evening from 5 to 6 p.m. Available on your FM dial at 103.3 FM. Also available streaming live and on podcast at nowdecator.com. Direct line, hosted by Wayne Kent. You've been listening, right? I know you don't. I know you don't. <laughs> it's not designed for you. Did you know that? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you're already in the church, it's not designed for you anyway, so you've been doing what you're supposed to do, not listen. <laughs> I once had a lady, somehow we got into this discussion about what preachers should wear in church, and uh, 
she called in and she was quite perturbed to hear that I didn't wear a suit and to actually, she actually was perturbed that, to hear that I didn't wear a white long sleeve shirt buttoned all the way down to the wrist. I said, so is that what preachers wear? Yes, you can't be a preacher unless you're willing to wear a white shirt buttoned all the way down to the wrist. And um, I go, so should I wear that at all times? And she said, yes, you should. I said, so like if I'm, um, if I'm mowing the lawn, should I be wearing, you know, long pants and a white, white shirt buttoned all the way down to the wrist? Absolutely, you should. I'm going, mowing the lawn? Yep, that's what preachers wear, and you can't be a preacher unless you do that. I go, so if you come to my church, uh, would you come and, and listen to me preach? What will you wear? I said, I don't know, probably what everyone else is wearing. Will it be a white shirt buttoned all the way down to the wrist? I said, no. She said, I'm not coming. All right. And she got off the phone, and I mean, it wasn't an argument. It was just this interesting conversation. And then, ah, I got to say, I got a little bit snarky, I suppose. You can tell me later on if I was snarky or not, because I said to my co-host, I said, well, what did Jesus wear? I don't think if Jesus showed up at our church, she would come and he listened to him preach, because he didn't wear a white-sleeved, white shirt buttoned all the way down. Anyways, I suppose that it must have been snarky, because you are just stunned that I said that on the air, which I can tell you are. So here's, here's the question. What's all this about? We're in this sermon series looking at the book of Leviticus. And it's often, people, as they read through the Bible, often overlook Leviticus, thinking, well, man, these ancient rules are too obscure, and and they don't apply to our contemporary times. I was up early this morning for a walk, listening, and I was listening to Leviticus as I was walking this morning, and I'm going, man, some of this stuff, it it just seems so otherworldly, at least at first glance. And we go, does it really apply to our contemporary times? Well... Together, we are discovering how Leviticus does apply to us, followers of Jesus Christ, and to our world at large. So if you read with me, Leviticus chapter 8, beginning at verse 1, we're going to look at what the priests of the ancient Israelites, what they were required to wear at certain points in their vocational responsibilities. The Lord said to Moses, bring Aaron and his sons their garments the anointing oil, the bull for the sin offering, the two rams, and the basket containing bread made without yeast. Gather the entire assembly at the entrance to the tent of meeting. The tent of meeting is the tent in the tabernacle, the, the place of worship in the very center of the camp. The Israelites are out in the wilderness now. Moses did as the Lord commanded him. The assembly gathered at the entrance to the tent of the meeting. Moses said to the assembly, this is what the Lord has commanded to be done. And with that, Moses brought Aaron and his sons forward and washed them with water. He put, he's got this whole description of this clerical garb that Aaron and his sons are going to wear. He put the tunic on Aaron, tied the sash around him, clothed him with the robe, and put the ephod on him. He also fashioned the ephod with a decorative waistband, which he tied around him. He placed the breastpiece on him and put the urim and the turim on the breastpiece. Then he placed the turban on Aaron's head and set the gold plate, the sacred emblem, on the front of it. So he's got a turban on his head with a big seal right here. And this is what the Lord had commanded Moses. Then Moses took the anointing oil, anointed the tabernacle and everything in it, and consecrated them. Basically what he's doing is ordaining Aaron and his sons to ministry. He sprinkled some oil on the altar seven times, anointing the the altar and all, all its utensils and the basin with its stand. Why did he do that? To consecrate them. He poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. Then he brought Aaron's sons forward, put tunics on them, tied sashes around them, fastened caps on them, 
as the Lord commanded Moses. And then flip over to chapter 9, if you will, please, beginning at verse 22, the very end of chapter 9. So at the end of all this ceremony, this is what happens. Verse 22, Aaron lifts his hands towards the people and blesses them. And we're going to do that later on, yet today, okay? He blesses them. And having sacrificed the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the fellowship offering, he steps down. So he steps down from in front of the people. And at that point, Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. When they came out, they blessed the people again. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord, consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and they fell face down. So what we have just read is the first time that the Jewish nation had a priest lead them in worship as a nation. And basically, as I said, this is where Aaron is ordained to ministry. This is less than a year after the people have left Egypt as slaves. If you were with us last week, you recall we spent a long time laying out a timeline of what happened in the first year of ancient Israel's history. And if you didn't catch that, I would suggest you go back and watch that online this coming week because it will kind of put in detail a lot of the things that we are going to have to skip over today. So you might catch that this week. Basically, but what happens is within a year of being slaves and leaving Egypt, could you guys throw that slide up for us one more time, please, okay? Within a year of leaving Egypt, Israel goes through a full change in national perspective. Thanks, guys. They, they go from slaves to being a nation um, that's on the move. They are now, um, have a whole new national perspective. They, they have a governing polity that they didn't have before. There's an established army, a military. There's this new thinking of what does it mean to be Jewish and to be the nation of Israel. And they, most importantly, they now have declared that they are a monotheistic nation. Namely, we're only going to recognize one God. There's the true God, the living God. And that makes us different from every other tribe, known or unknown. We worship God alone. And part of establishing that relationship with God included recognizing some new leaders. Thanks, guys. Recognize the new leaders of this emerging Jewish faith. And, and so they're saying, as we now are declared who we are, then we're going to need some leadership in this religious business. And who's that going to be? Well, we're going to assign that to Aaron and his sons. Now, Aaron was Moses' older brother, by three years. And they were, they were quite the pair. On the one hand, Moses had God's ear and led the nation in its development and its trek through the wilderness all the way right up until about to cross over the, the river into the promised land, okay? It was his brother Aaron, though, who, on the other hand, often had to care for the nation and watch over the nation because Moses tended to be this spiritual guy who sometimes would lose track of what was going on down, down with his people, if you will. And so um, there were times when, in particular, Moses struggled to speak. As a matter of fact, biblical scholars have reason to think that maybe he stuttered or he had some sort of speech impediment that consequently he would be embarrassed to talk in front of people. And often it was Aaron who would speak on Moses' behalf. And when it came to faith and the development of their faith life as a nation, God decreed that Aaron and his sons were the leaders of the nation's worship practices. 
And so the story we just read from Leviticus details this ordination moment when Aaron and consequently his sons and their sons and moving through many generations, they were appointed as priests of the nation. And they wore very special garb, very special tunics, very special uniforms. Not like this or this or this, but we do have some understanding of what it looked like. We read in Leviticus chapter 8 that Moses put the tunic on Aaron. He tied the sash around him, clothed him with the robe, and put the ephod on him. He fastened the ephod with a decorative waistband, which he tied around him, and he placed the breastpiece on him. So what, what should preachers wear these days? What should clergy priests wear today? Well, we'll probably come back to that yet. But in that day of, of ancient Israel, this is what the high priest particularly was to wear. And when it comes to this tunic or this uniform, this garb, G-A-R-B, that he was wearing, the book of Exodus actually gives us some more details. God says, fashion a breastpiece for making decisions, the work of skilled hands. Make it like the ephod of gold and of blue, pearl and scarlet yarn, of finely twisted linen. So this is a piece of fabric that's interwoven and it's very, very detailed, um, very, very precise. It is to be square. Then mount four rows of precious stones on it. They're supposed to be 12 stones. So you've got four by three, 12 stones. One for each of the names of the sons of Israel. Each engraved like a seal with the name of one of the 12 tribes. Israel was the fellow who was originally um, where, where the 12 tribes, the 12 families of Israel came from. They all have various names. And so those are supposed to be these 12 tribes. He's carrying them right here. Whenever Aaron enters the holy place... He will bear the names of the sons of Israel over his heart on the breastpiece of decision as a continuing memorial before the Lord. So what did that look like? Well, here's an artist's rendition of what the high priest might have looked like. And I want you to notice all the details. Everything there is, that you see in that photograph is as you would expect and as is described in Scripture. And we could spend a long time explaining all the metaphors of this, that, and the other, and the meanings of various parts of the priest's tunic and his headdress. You'll even notice there are some, maybe, I don't know if you can't, but there are bells at the bottom. We're going to get to that in two weeks. Why did he have to have bells on? We'll come back to that in two weeks, okay? But for today, I want you to spend, we're going to spend some time particularly on this breast piece in the center of his chest. And there's something very cool about what he is wearing. Let me explain it this way. We said that the Israelites had a um, tent of meeting, sometimes called the tabernacle with a capital T, if you will. Um, it's a tent, a large tent that's set up right in the center of camp. And the Bible states that um, this focal point of their worship was often visited by God in the form of a cloud. A cloud would come out of heaven, would come down and literally go inside the tent and this visible cloud would be an indication that God himself was right there. And on prescribed days, we're going to get to this again in two weeks from now, Aaron or one of his sons would go into the presence of, the tab of God in the tabernacle wearing that uniform that we just saw. And the precious stones on the breastplate, breastplate then of the uniform, what happens to them? As he's, as he's wearing all that, he carries them into God's presence. Why? Well, Exodus 28 says, he will bear the names of the sons of Israel over his heart on the breastpiece of decision 
as a continuing memorial before the Lord. The high priest had the names of all the people right here over his heart, and he walks into the presence of God. Now remember, in the ancient world, the heart was considered um, the source of life. I mean, the, the Bible says between the heart and the blood, it, tell, it, was the, the, it was the locus of life, if you will, the heart was. Now, modern science would tell us that the starting point of our bodies is really our brain. As a matter of fact, we know today that we can keep a person alive even without a heart. We can put them on a heart-lung machine and keep them alive. Um, but we would stop that heart-lung machine when we, the medical people would say, this person is brain dead. Very, very difficult decision. I've been there when families have said, it's time, what do we do? Turn off the machine. It literally is. You turn it off and somebody is at that point declared dead, even though their heart could be pumping and we keep the, could keep that heart pumping. But in the days of, Le of Leviticus, the heart and the blood pumped by the heart was considered the center of life. Now, we echo that language today when we say things like, I have you in my heart, or on Valentine's Day, we draw hearts for the people we love, and I've got you right here. Well, in reality, that person's name is not here. We know it's up here, right? It's our brain that causes us to fall in love with somebody else or to be in a relationship with somebody else. It's not our heart, and yet we still carry this same understanding from the Bible that something happens down here. So the high priest was to go into God's presence with these precious stones right here over his heart. And what was inscribed on his heart? The names and the symbols of the 12 tribes of the nation. And so an Israelite could declare, God has seen my name. See, because there were 12 tribes, and so like the, tri the tribe of Dan, all those people would have Dan in their name. The tribe, say, of Asher, all those people would have the name of Asher in their name. The tribe of Benjamin, all those people would have, their that, have that Benjamin name somewhere within their personal identity. And so a person could say, God has seen my name. The priest has shown my name before God. Now here's something fascinating about this family of Aaron as they're Aaron and then his sons and grandsons are carrying his names before God. Because generations later, these, this family line, they were all priests. And their family was quite unique. God said they were to be set apart to be holy. They were to be different than the other men of ancient Israel. And we've said that uniqueness in that way, this set apart, is a way in which to describe holiness. The Israelites expected Aaron's family to be holy. They expected the priests to live in a unique way, to be set apart, to be holy, different from everybody else. And you know, modern science has actually affirmed that this family of priests are, in fact, absolutely different than other families than other men. See, the Hebrew word for priest as assigned to the family of Aaron is Cohen. Cohen. Perhaps you've heard that as a name, a last name, for some Jewish people. We have some Cohens within our community who are Jewish people within our community. And the, well, the men of that family, of the Cohen family, are indeed unique. Back in 1997, it was discovered that all the Cohen men who could trace their lineage back to Leviticus... Maybe they didn't know if they could trace their lineage back to Leviticus, but it was discovered by science that if you take a DNA test of all the men who are named Cohen, 
you could figure out whether or not they truly were Cohen. Were they really related to the original Cohens, to the original priests? Because all the family, all the men of the Cohen family have six markers that are unique on the Y chromosome of their DNA. Think about this. When God says, I'm setting apart the Cohen, the priests, it is so set apart that actually their DNA changed and that can continue to be um, transmitted from male, it's on the Y chromosome, which means it's from male to male to male to male to male. And so even this day, if you have the last name Cohen and you're male and you haven't been tested, they, the, the Israeli government will test you, test your DNA to see if you actually can trace your lineage all the way back here to Leviticus chapter 8. It's called the Cohen modal haplotype. Fascinating to me that science of 1997 through to today, the study is going on today, you can trace it all the way back here to Leviticus chapter 8 and chapter 9 where God says, I want this group of men and all their descendants to be different. In other words, when we say that the priests of the ancient Israelites were different, that they were set apart from other men within their nation, we can actually test what that looked like. That difference was not only seen in their behavior and their access to God's presence in the, in the tabernacle, it's, they were so different that their genetic makeup shifted. So what would we say then about these Levitical priests then? These men, when accessing, accessing God's presence, what did they do? They carried the names of all the people of Israel and before God, and they were able to do that through their unique and holy life approach as God worked through them. I'm reminded in this regard of another high priest who would have similar qualities. What would his name be? Jesus, right? The book of Hebrews puts it this way, that there have been many priests whose deaths prevented them from continuing in office. Aaron eventually died, as did his sons and their sons, through to the present time. The priests are human, they die. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to him through, come to God through him because he always lives. Jesus is alive today. What's he doing? Interceding for them. This is Jesus doing what the Old Testament priests did. This is Jesus carrying names before God. This is, God intercede, this is Jesus interceding before God, mediating, if you will. It's a mediating, interceding action of Jesus before God. And I've got great news for you, friend. Your name is known by God. As a matter of fact, Scripture even talks about the Lamb's Book of Life, where it's actually written down, and it's sealed there. The Scripture goes on that says, such a high priest, namely Jesus, truly meets our need. Why? Because he is holy, blameless, pure, set apart. There's, he's different than everybody else, exalted above the heavens. I mean, when, we, when we say Jesus is unique, you've probably been saying this for many years if you've been following Jesus, just not realized it. Anytime you would read or think about John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his what? One and only son. There's only one Jesus. He's the only, he's the only savior of the world. Jesus himself says, no one comes to the father but by me. There's something unique about Jesus, namely he is God in the flesh. And unlike other high priests, he doesn't need to continue to offer sacrifices. Day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. Why? Because he sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered himself. So what's the Bible saying? 
that just like the, the priests of Leviticus carried the names of their tribes before God, mediating for those people, God forgive their sins. So Jesus, as the unique, holy, set-apart, and sinless Son of God, he is the high priest in our lives, bringing us and our sins before God. I like it. I like it a lot. I like the fact that your name and my name, wherever you're listening to this, even if you're listening to it and it's three years down the road from 2021 or 30 years down the road from 21, do you know that God knows your name? Jesus Christ is interceding and mediating for you right this very minute. Just like the Levitical priests did in Leviticus. Something else I would say then has some implications for us and even for some responsibilities. Here's how it stayed in the Bible. You, it's about us. You, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. I, I want to go back one more time. I, I, just kind of a word from the Lord for today. If you're facing, facing today a bunch of junk, if life has thrown you more curveballs than you know how to bat away, and you're going, man, I am in, I'm in a rough place. I want to remind you what we've just learned together. This is a word for whoever this is for today. Jesus Christ is in the presence of God on your behalf right now, interceding and mediating for you. And whether or not you've been a follower of Jesus Christ for years and it's just life is ugly, or you have never given your life to Christ and your, your sin list is this long, got some good news for you, friend. Jesus Christ is standing before God saying, hey, did, did you see, have you seen Wayne Kent? Have you seen? You put your name there. Step into that. Live there. Live there this week, friend. All right, where we were. Back to 1 Peter 2 and our responsibilities in, in in light of um, what Jesus has done for us and is doing for us. You, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What? As a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm part of the holy, set-apart priesthood? You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, you're, you are, in fact, God's special possession, and you have some responsibilities based on your uniqueness. You can declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Friend, that's, that's you and me. That's any other person who follows Jesus. Maybe, maybe you didn't know that every Christ follower is a priest, and you go, well, I don't have the right garb. I don't have a clerical collar. I don't have... All this stuff you've got, right? Well, th sure, those are, those are, these might be symbols of the job I have. But every follower of Jesus Christ is a chosen person, just like Aaron and his sons were chosen by Moses to lead the spiritual development of the Israelites. Once Jesus came along, the priesthood in the way it used to be in the Old Testament was no longer needed because you and I are now the priests and the bearers of the good news of God Almighty. In other words, we are a part of a unique nation, a holy, set-apart priesthood. And we have some responsibilities as priests. In fact, we have many of them, but like Aaron, um, let's just name one for today. We are to carry names before God. 
Why? Well, we have access to God's presence through the work of Jesus Christ like the priest did. Again, we're going to come back to this more in two weeks from now. The curtain between humanity's sin and God's presence was torn down at Jesus' sacrificial death. That's coming up in a couple weeks as well. We are uniquely qualified to speak to God on behalf of other people because we have access to all of that. And what do we do? We pray. We carry names before God. This week, part of your responsibility as the royal priesthood of God is to pray. Have you been praying in days of late? That's right. Fellow priests of God, have you prayed about the situation in Israel and Gaza this week? We have a responsibility to care. Have you prayed about the people in Myanmar? Have you prayed about the people across the street? I mean, friends, pray for your neighbor. Pray for your family and friends. Pray for those you know. Pray for those you don't. Pray for those who know Christ. Pray for those far from Christ. Pray for those in deep need. I mean, their lives are miserable. And you go, God, so-and-so's life is just falling apart. Pray for those who have very small needs. God, so-and-so's got a big toenail problem. <laughs> you know, pray for those who are struggling. Pray for those who say, man, God's blessing is or it's just, they're, they're living life to the fullest and life is really good for them. God, I thank you for that and keep them right there, God. Now, we have lots more responsibilities as priests, but let's start this week by bearing the names of people who you have in your heart you know them in your head. Carry those names before God. And so given all of that, in New Testament practices, what's the best garment for a priest? What's the best garment for a pastor? What's the best garment for a New Testament person like you? Well, sometimes clergy these days wear special robes. Yeah, I get that. Fair enough. But in the long run, what does a priest wear these days? Well, what are you wearing? That's the priestly garb. That's the priestly tunic. That's the uniform of what it takes and what it requires to carry Jesus' message to those around you while you prayerfully take the names of those around you to God. Why? Because Jesus died. We read in the scriptures that says, Jesus died once and for all. The, the ongoing practice of sacrifices is no longer needed, and now we have responsibility. So, as you came in the room, maybe you got one of these. If you're joining us online, would you grab something to eat or drink? And um, if you don't have one, there'll be people coming around in both the East and West Auditorium momentarily. They'll get these to you. I think they're coming. But while they're coming... May I remind you why we do this? We eat and drink, um, acknowledging that on the night that he was betrayed, on the night that everything went sour for Jesus, but everything turned, began to turn glorious for humanity, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, Scripture says he took bread and he gave thanks and he ate it. So would we do that together? Can we need some down here, bud? Let's eat together. The scripture then says that after supper he took a cup and after giving thanks he said, 
take and eat, take and drink. This is the covenant in my blood. A new promise I'm making to you saying, you don't need the sacrifices anymore. The curtain's gonna be torn. You have access to me through, I mean, you have access to God through me. He says, I want you to drink in remembrance of me. Let's do that. So to sort of seal this whole understanding and to see what Jesus did for us, I'd like us to do this. Would you stand together, please? If you're in the East Auditorium, would you stand? Here in the West, stand. And maybe even want to do this at home or online right now because I want, we're going to do something that standing would just sort of seal it for us. Um, if, we're going to, if we're going to take people's names before God, what are we doing? We are essentially saying, God... Whatever you in heaven want to have happen in these lives here, make that a reality. I'm looking at this situation. I think this would be really good. But God, whatever your will is in heaven, do it here on earth. Does that sound familiar? Is that language? That language sounds familiar, right? It's from the Lord's Prayer. And so I'd like us to seal this with that language and with the entire Lord's Prayer together. And then we've got one more thing to do. So let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And then while I remain standing, one more project that I'd like us to do, and that is that um, Aaron, you know, we read in that passage of Scripture that twice Aaron blessed the people, right? And we actually know what he said. In the book of Numbers, we have um, the text of the responsibilities that the high priest or the other priests had to say over the people, and they, they would raise their hands. And you, <laughs> you're going to laugh at this, or you probably will. They would go like this. And you go, well, this looks like Star Trek. <laughs> Leonard Nimoy would do this. You know why Leonard Nimoy do this? would do this? Because he was Jewish, and he was given the responsibility as, as Spock to say grace and peace to people. So he just brought in Aaron's blessing over the television, which is fascinating understanding, right? So here's what I want us to do. This is going to be crazy for some of you. First of all, can you do that? Some of you can, some of you can't. Some of you can't, some of you can't. If you can, or if you can't, if you have to be like this or it has to be like this, we're gonna, whatever it is, okay? We're gonna, I'm going to ask you to be a priest over the entire gathering around you today. And anyone who's online, we're going to say together as the priests of God, we're going to use the text of the Aaronic blessing over those around us, and we're going to be priests of God. So to that end, let's stretch our hands out. And this is us over everybody else. And if you can't do that, don't worry about it, okay? Can you do it? Look at that. He's, he's, he's only got three fingers. He's a three-fingered bass player. Let's, let's say it together. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Hey, priests. Stay standing. Have a great week.
carry those names before the Lord.